Good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. Have you ever had one of those days where it feels like the tank that holds your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is, is filling back up? Like it was a day that was just good for your soul. Maybe it was first day on a job, or maybe it was a wedding day, or the birth of a child, or maybe it's first few weeks of college, or maybe it was something just as small as like achieving a goal. But in those moments, it just feel like the, the tank that holds the, the spiritual, uh, emotional, and, and, and mental health of your soul is just rising back up. It's just, it's just filling back up. And it's almost, it's almost like someone is putting money in the piggy bank. I know it's a bunny rabbit, but let's pretend it's a piggy bank. And so it's almost as as if there are just these deposits that are being made into the bank of your soul. I remember one day this past February, my three sons had five soccer games in one day. Now add to that chaos, my middle son decided that he wanted to participate in this kids CrossFit competition because we're, we're kind of into that a little bit. And, and so it was going to be a crazy day, and it was. It was chaotic and it was hectic from start to finish. And I remember, I remember getting to the end of that day. I remember getting to the end of that day and just having the good exhaustion. You ever felt that where you just, you just pour yourself out and like there's a good exhaustion there. And even though I was physically tired, I was mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually full. Because I just remember that day being able to watch my kids compete and just how they were enjoying being out there on the field and enjoying their teammates. And I, I remember being able to just watch them and experience their joy and be there with, with uh, April, my wife. And at the end of the day, just reflecting on all those blessings and even how, reflecting on even the hard times in life, how even on that day, God was just showing me what all he was teaching me, what all he was showing me in and through the blessing of my family. And at the end of that day, I just felt incredibly full. I think it was about two weeks after that day when COVID hit. <laughs> and, and, and it started to hit and take its toll across the nation. And we know all the things that happened in and with COVID, right? And, it didn't, you know, it's affected all of us. There was, you know, sports seasons cut short, you know, loved ones getting sick, hospitals overrun, schools closed, canceled, birthdays missed, graduations delayed, weddings postponed. And then also add to that, I add, to 20, uh, add to COVID in 2020, you know, in 2020 came the rightful push for racial and, and, and social justice across the nation. And that demanded time, energy, attention, action, and thought. And with COVID and, and the social justice movement, there were these feelings of confusion, right? Like, what do we do now? Is there anything we can do to help make this better? Is there anything we can do to help move forward? And when you're in that struggle... And you have all these questions, and you're not really getting answers to them, then it, 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 again, it doesn't lead you to feeling full, but feeling drained. There, there haven't been deposits into the soul, but there's been one withdrawal after another to where you just feel empty, and you just don't feel like you have much left to give. And when the soul's empty... It leads to all sorts of questions about faith and, and, and what does a relationship with God look like? What does our pursuit of Christ look like in that moment? What does it look like to have faith, to cling to faith, to live out that faith when it seems like we're being poured out or it seems like at every turn we're just feeling empty and feeling drained and like there's just not much left? 
in the time and culture of Jesus and the disciples, the, the pandemic that was kind of the backdrop was, you know, it wasn't COVID, but rather it was the oppression of the Jewish people by the Roman Empire. That was the backdrop for all of their life. And they were trying to navigate how to live as a people of God, all the while living as part of a, of a, of a pagan empire. And the Jewish people knew that it wasn't supposed to be that way. Like they knew the promise that God had made to their forefathers and how they were to live in the promised land and establish the kingdom of Israel and live in such a way to where all the Israelites would know, that the, where, where all the people would know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. That was their goal. That was their aim. That was the plan. But, but the Israelite people over time and throughout history had rebelled against God. They rebelled against his plan. And so they were exiled out of the promised land. And even though God had brought them back from exile and they were living in the land, it was for the most part, almost always ruled by others. And that was just an upheaval to how they thought the life of their nation would go. And that difference, that upheaval, it was draining on their mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It made withdrawals from their soul to be living under Roman occupation. But the conflict with the Jewish people, uh, the, the conflict the Jewish people felt rather, it wasn't just with Rome, but there was also conflict within the Jewish people as well. You see, there were some who thought that they had followed God's commands and laws better than others. And so they lorded their self-righteousness over others. And they judged and they marginalized those that they deemed more sinful than they were. So even within the Jewish nation, there were divisions and conflict between the self-righteous of the religious establishment and those that were considered the sinners, the rejects, the outcasts, and the overlooked. And to those you know that had to make withdrawals from their soul as they lived under the judgment or lived with the judgment of the self-righteous and the religious elite. But it was to this last group, it was to this last group, that, and with this last group, that Jesus began his earthly ministry. Jesus goes to this group that knew both the pain of Rome and the judgment of the religious establishment. And he goes and he starts his ministry there because they knew what it meant to be powerless. They knew what that experience was. They also knew what it was like for the soul to be empty and raising all these questions of what does it look like to have faith, to cling to faith, to live out that faith in a healthy way where it seems like you've been poured out, where it seems like the soul is empty. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives to his followers, he gives to his disciples, he gives to so many of those that were living that experience, even the, the crowds that have begun to follow Jesus, he gives to his followers, and really you could even say he gives it to you and to me now 2,000 years later, he gives to us the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, from start to finish in the sermon, Jesus gives teaching and instruction for how to embody the Christian faith and how to partner with Jesus in the work of advancing the kingdom of God. And so what it is, the Sermon on the Mount, it's like the charter document of the Christian life. What it is, it's wisdom and instruction for how to live out your faith, even amidst chaotic challenge and challenging times, even amidst those times when the soul feels empty. And we can see this and begin to experience this even with the introduction of the sermon. You see, the sermon opens up with a section known as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes just means blessing. And as Beatitudes as blessings introduce the sermon, once again we are taught and we experience how God always blesses his people before he makes demands of them. There's a pattern that we see throughout scripture and throughout 
how God has interacted with his people. Like going back to creation, he creates the world, creates the garden, and Adam and Eve experience that blessing and that perfection. And then God gives the command about not eating of the forbidden fruit. Then, you know, there's the, uh, the, the Israelites. They're enslaved to the Egyptian people, and God blesses them by freeing them and by liberating them and leading them to the promised land. He blesses them with the promised land. And, and as he's giving this blessing to them, God then gives the, the laws and commands to them. And so what you see in this with God blessing before the commands are given is that we're not called to work for the blessing. We're not called to work for the blessing. And in God's love and grace, he gives it. And when he gives it, he gives us the hope. He gives us um, a a way to experience his love and, and mercy in our life. And then it's in response to that blessing, in response to that grace, that we understand more of God's character, of God's nature, of God's attributes. And then we can see that even the demands, even the commands that God places on our life, those too are for our good and for his glory. So they are also blessings themselves. And it's a way where we know his words, his wisdom, it's right and true, and we must, and we can obey it. But again, it all, even with the, the opening of the sermon, we can see once again how God always leads with blessing. And to this group that was listening to Jesus, that was interacting with Jesus, even though perhaps they would see this pattern throughout the history of how God had interacted with the Israelite people for those gathered on this, on this uh, time to hear this sermon— It was a group of people that perhaps were experiencing it for the very first time themselves because they were the outcasts, they were the sinners, they were the rejects who were told they would never measure up, they weren't favor, who were told really they would never experience God's blessing. But Jesus opens this sermon teaching what it means to be blessed and who is actually considered blessed and it is drastically different than anything they had thought before. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, we have the start of the Sermon on the Mount. It says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? We felt that on some levels. Right? We felt that on some levels this past year. We, we felt the withdrawals from our soul. We felt the emotional, mental, spiritual banks emptying this past year in face of all the changes and all the upheaval. And, and so we've, we've, we, I do believe we have felt that on some levels. But I, I would say maybe we felt a trace of it. We felt a trace of it, something that can help even connect us into deeper truths of, uh, of who we are in our relationship to God. Because I would say the helplessness and the confusion and the frustration at our circumstances over this past year, that should call us to a similar experience we have when we become aware of our sin and we begin to grieve over our sin. Like, I mean, think about this past year with COVID, right? Life was trucking along, then COVID happens, then the world changes, and we realize we can't go back to where, how we were before. We're living in this time right now, and we don't know what the future is going to look like, and we're waiting on and hoping on something that can help us, you know, overcome, to help us cure this, to, to then where we can uh, continue on with life. And in so many ways, like, that happens with our sin, right? We're trucking along, the sin happens, and now life has changed. Can't go back to how I was. Because this has happened. I've either rebelled against the Lord or I, I, I've, I've, I've hurt someone, I've hurt or I've wounded a loved one, a family member. And so like that's happened and life has changed. And I don't know how it's changed. 
and I don't know how I'm going to be able to function. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I just know this is all radically different. And so there's a helplessness. There's, there's, there's a confusion. There's a frustration uh, about, about this sin and about what's going to happen next. And there can even, rightly so, be a desperation at just the power, how powerless we are to address and fix any of it. But here is the hope that Jesus is giving in this moment. He's teaching us that, that those who are poor in spirit, well, they're humble enough to realize they need the grace of God in their life because they don't have any hope in themselves. They're, they're humble enough to realize they don't have clarity themselves. They don't have power themselves. The poor in spirit are those who don't believe they're, they're better than others. The poor in spirit are those who are not convinced of their own self-righteousness but realizes the state of brokenness and sin in their own life. The poor in spirit are those who are self-aware enough to realize they are in need of grace, that they need a Savior. And Jesus, he says they're blessed. He says they're blessed. They are blessed because they're not trying to present the facade that they have it all together. They're they're not trying to make it look like they're perfect. They aren't trying to convince anybody else that they are more spiritual than anybody else. They are poor in spirit, and they know their one hope is the Lord. Jesus says they're blessed. They're blessed because God delivers and God redeems those who are poor in spirit. Now, Jesus knows this is ultimately going to happen in and through his sacrificial work on the cross where he takes our sin, the penalty of our sin, the payment of our sin, when he takes all that onto himself and makes a way for his righteousness, his perfection to be granted to us in return, for the riches of the kingdom of God to be granted to us in return. And and so, like, he knows that it's going to happen with that sacrificial work. But even here, years before the cross, year before that sacrificial work, he already begins to teach about that great exchange. He teaches about that great exchange and how the poor in spirit, despite what they might believe, despite what they might be feeling, they are actually blessed. Why? Because God is a God of grace and he is a God of compassion. The poor in spirit are welcomed into the kingdom of God because they are not trusting in themselves anymore, but they are trusting in the provision and the work of the Lord. And with that, they have a hope. They have hope now because they are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And with that, they have that eternal hope. And just think about the ramifications of that. Because the kingdom of God brings the eternal hope that one day, one day, they're going to have a life where there's no more struggle, no more heartache, no more pain, no more suffering for those originally hearing it. That means there's, there's no more oppression by a pagan foreign kingdom. You know, there, there's no more conflict with the religious elite. And so that means for them, their mental, emotional, spiritual tank, they are always going to be full because there will be eternal deposits of good and blessing into the soul. And so while they're walking through the struggle, while they're walking through that struggle day in and day out, they now have hope for, from this future certainty. And that gives patience, it gives endurance, it gives long-suffering to their daily living. And so to those on that mountainside who had only known, only known judgment and conflict with the religious elite, felt the oppression from the, from the Roman Empire, and errantly thought that's how it'd be, perhaps even for all eternity, always being marginalized, always left out, this This is an incredible word of hope that they can know that they too, by faith, are welcomed into the eternal kingdom of God. 
But know this, this is not just a promise meant for those 2,000 years ago when we humble ourselves. When we realize the bankruptcy of our self-righteousness. When we acknowledge that we too are desperate for the grace of Christ. It's there where we don't have to despair. Okay, we, we, it's there we don't have to feel defeated. Where we don't have to feel like the failure, like the cast off, or, or, or like we've been rejected. But it's there we celebrate in the fact that God is gracious and God is compassionate. And he welcomes us into his kingdom. And this, not a result of our efforts but as a result of his righteousness, as a result of his mercy. And I believe that, yes, that is a way where you and I can know and live even now a blessed life. And so in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to take a deeper dive into each one of these beatitudes. And we're going to see how these, even these eternal promises can give us hope and confidence and direction for our daily living. Because I, I believe that they do. Because, I mean, yes, we're, we're still, we still see darkness and heartache, and pain, and suffering, and that is draining, that is emptying, that makes us feel poured out, makes us feel empty, right? I mean, this, uh, again, this past year, there are missed graduations, there are jacked up first years of college, there are school classmates that are missed with your kids, there are jobs that perhaps are, are, are gone, there are injustices that are seen and experienced daily, and those give rise to our lament, so yes, at every turn there is grief. There's also grace, and there's compassion, and there's deliverance in and with Jesus who restores our soul. When we humble ourselves and we acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, then we experience that restoration. We experience that redemption and the hope that is found in his kingdom and how God so graciously gives it. I believe it's a way where grace leads to our repentance I believe it's a way to where we receive the kingdom of God into our lives and then we live out the hope of that kingdom amidst a broken and fallen world. And that's a blessed life because daily we acknowledge and see how we are receiving the compassion of the Lord. And that has nothing to do with our circumstances or our life situation. It has everything to do with the loving kindness of our Lord. And so, just as they gathered on the mountainside to be encouraged by Jesus, I pray that as we've gathered even online to hear from God's word and be encouraged by even the online church of Christ, in those times where we are poor in spirit, may we know that's the right reaction to have to the brokenness that we see in the world around us. That's the right reaction to have to the, the, the heartache that we see in this world, to the frustrations that we might feel. May we know being poor in spirit is the right reaction to have in response to the brokenness that we see in our own life and in our own soul and in the sin that we carry. But may we never feel rejected, cast out, or cast aside. May we take hope in God's mercy and redemption because he is a gracious God. May this be our prayer and our hope that we know the truth, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you made a way for this great exchange to happen, how even when we are poor, especially when we are poor in spirit, where we see the, the sin and its ramifications and how that leads us to a place of hopelessness and frustration and confusion, God, that leads us to the end of ourselves to realize that we are but desperate for you 
and your mercy and your grace in our life. And God, I pray um, that we would welcome that time. I pray that we would welcome that occasion where we would confess that sin, be aware of that sin, and, and know that that does bring us low and to walk in humility of it. But God, in that moment, I pray that we not give to the end of despair. I pray that we not give into the lie that we, will, that we will be cast out or cast aside. But God, I pray that we cling to the truth and hold to the truth that you are a gracious and compassionate God who delights in restoring and redeeming uh, your children. And so God, help us, help us walk through this broken world. Help us navigate the brokenness in our own soul knowing that even though there are times, especially in those moments where we are poor in spirit, God, we can take joy in knowing that because of you and your grace and your work on the cross, you welcome us into the kingdom of God. So God, help that eternal truth anchor us in our daily living. Give us patience, give us endurance, and give us hope, God. Help us have joy even in and through these uncertain times. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.